Today, I welcome Pippa and Danny from Wildlife Act to Club 15 with Microsoft. So can you both introduce yourself and tell us what we're going to be doing today? I'm Danielle. I work for Wildlife Act as part of the uh, infield monitoring team. I'm Pippa and I also work for Wildlife Act and I've been in Zululand for eight years doing endangered species work across Zululand. Today we are going to remove the horns from a rhino and it is um, one of the systems we use in order to deter poachers from entering a property. So if they know that the population on Manioni have been dehorned, it's a deterrent. The idea is to keep poachers from coming in in the first place. Awesome, okay. So most people have never seen a rhino out in the wild, so can you tell us a bit about these creatures? Um, so we have two species of rhino. We have the black and the white. Um, they both are quite interesting in their own right. Um, black rhino are more solitary and they eat bushes and, and trees, whereas our white rhino are grass eaters, they're grazers, they're bog grazers. With a black rhino, um, you'll see that it's got a pointy lip, pointy top lip, and that pointy top lip is prehensile. It allows the black rhino to pull a leaf off a tree. The white rhino has a wide mouth. It's like a very, very big lawnmower, and it allows it to eat grass. White rhino is much bigger than a black rhino, and generally more relaxed. Black rhino is quite shy but we'll hopefully see one or both of them today. So rhinos are going extinct, so can you tell us why they're going extinct and how we can help them? Well, as you know, the rhinos are approached for their horns for traditional medicine, and unfortunately, the horn is also used as a status symbol. So a horn might sit on the dinner table to show affluence um, and status, which is unfortunate because there's nothing really you can do about that other than education. So it all comes down to our future generations. If we have that, that sort of time um, and educating them in terms of rhino horn, there are no scientifically proven medical properties. Um, so we need to teach the, new gen the next generation about why it's better to preserve the rhino than, than use them, harvest them for their horns. Mm. Um, but it's a belief system and it's difficult to dissuade somebody of their faith. It's, I mean, wars are fought over religion. Um, it's very difficult to tell somebody that their beliefs are wrong. It's crazy that people want to kill these rhinos, but their horns are just made out of keratin, which is the same material as their fingernails. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. I know that some people think that dehorning rhino is so cruel, but can you tell us, you know, why we have to do this? On some properties, we've seen a 90 or 85% decrease in, in incursions after dehorning a population. Um, and like you said about the keratin and the fingernails, um, our fingernails continue to grow after we've cut them. It's the same thing with the rhino horn. It continues to grow, which is why we need to dehorn the same animal every 15 months, 12 to 15 months. So my last question is, can you tell us how kids my age can become an advocate for this animal? So the best thing that we can do is spread the message and do research and... Um, education. Educate, um, your friends, yeah. educate your friends, parents. Mm. Um, start campaigns, get involved in other people's campaigns. Uh, we have species going extinct every day and most often we don't even, we don't even know <laughs> about them. So the more we tell people about rhinos, the better. So the best thing to do is to spread the word, get people involved. You can really become an advocate just by learning about the animal and you know how you can help them, educating everybody you know about that animal. Thank you so much for talking with me today and thank you for all the work that you're doing. You're really helping our planet.
Morning guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, so I'm just going to quickly go over a little bit about dehorning and why we're doing this today. Um, so Magnoni Private Game Reserve um, has its, almost its entire dehorning project uh, raised through guest participation and from donors such as yourself. Um, so you guys are directly contributing to this conservation initiative, so thank you so much. Um, so a little bit of background, rhino dehorning is something that became commonplace um, in countries like Zimbabwe in the 1980s when those guys were experiencing massive upsurges in rhino poaching. Um, and they found that having a good law enforcement team with a dehorning program was very successful at saving rhinos' lives. Um, in South Africa, the problem has obviously come about a lot more recently. Uh, Manyoni specifically, we lost our first rhino in 2014. Um, sadly, by the end of 2014, we lost seven rhino. Um, by the end of 2015, we lost another six rhino. So these were unsustainable losses. We, we, we're not a, a very large game reserve and losing 15 rhino in two years was something that the population could not sustain. Um, so we made the very, very difficult decision in 2016 to start dehorning our rhino population. Um, and unfortunately, all of our other initiatives were having no effect. We, we erected guard towers. We included the managers and staff in the game reserve in conducting patrols. And we put more boots on the ground um, yeah, so there were, there were so many different aspects of security that were upgraded and none of them were having the effects that we wanted. So 2016, our entire rhino population was dehorned. Um, by the end of 2016, we had only lost two rhino. So an immediate positive effect. Um, by the, uh, 2017, we lost one rhino and then we remained poaching free for four years. Um, this is actually only the second briefing I'm going to do that has this next piece. Um, unfortunately, we lost two rhino just the other day. So poaching has returned. Um, so it, it obviously just means that dehorning is, is as critical as ever. Um, and we just have to be very aware and, and on, on the ball. Um, so a little bit about what you can expect as well. So we've got rhino monitors out in the field. We have a black rhino monitor and a white rhino monitor. And currently they are both on tracks. We've got a spur for three black rhino sort of just to the north of us. Um, if they can get a visual, then that's first prize. Uh, if they can't, we're going to jump in the helicopter and go and have a look. Um, so we're going to be taking uh, DNA samples as well. Um, so it'll be hair, tissue, horn and blood. Um, and then we're going to measure the horns. Uh, you're obviously welcome to touch the rhino. Uh, the one safety precaution is to please avoid the dart sight on the rhino. That'll be on the left-hand rump um, where the dart goes in. Um, Mike will elaborate more, the veterinarian, um, but the drug use is extremely powerful um, and a single drop can, can kill a person. Mike does carry an antidote and we've never had, had a problem, um, but it's just a, a precaution. Hi Kate, I'm Mike. I'm Dr. Mike Toft. I'm a wildlife vet for the area here and uh, we're going to be doing the rhino together. Okay, so I like to go through, this is a briefing basically from a safety aspect and also as an informational briefings for, uh, so that you know what's happening when it happens. Okay. okay, so back in the early 60s when we first started catching rhino, we used to catch rhinos with a long pole and a rope. We used to chase them down with a truck, we used to rope them, pull them in and we had tires on the side of the vehicle and you'd pull them in until eventually they fell over. The problem with that is that around about half of those rhinos would die anything up to a year later from the stress of that whole capture. 
what happened is that their muscles broke down as a result of the massive stress that happened. And um, that clogged up kidneys and they would die slowly later on. So that wasn't a great way of catching them, but we did move rhino like that uh, from time to time. So we started looking at drugs that would work better. And um, so we looked for a, a number of criteria. It had to fit into a small dart like this. This is a two cc dart, which is half a teaspoon. Not a lot of drugs, okay. It had to be strong enough to knock down anything up to seven tons of elephant. And it had to be at the end of the show, it had to be reversible. Because you can't leave seven tons of elephant lying on its legs or two tons of rhino for that matter lying on its legs for two, three hours whilst they wake up in the bush, okay. So we had to have all of those criteria and I'm not gonna bore you with what we looked at but there's a really couple of cool books to read one day about how we found these drugs and how we looked for them. And um, the group of drugs that we hit upon eventually are the ones you guys probably know as the narcotics. We call them the opioids. And the drug I'm going to be using today has a code name of M99. That's its proper name. Uh, oh, sorry, that's its code name. Its proper name is actually a torphine and it's related to morphine. And if you knew or know anybody who's had a morphine shot, you'll know that morphine is a strong drug in humans. Well, this drug is 8,000 to 10,000 times more potent than morphine. Wow. So please today, remember where the dart goes into the rhino, it's a dangerous spot. Do not touch it, because if you touch it, you can get enough of this drug that comes up the side of the needle onto the skin, that if you put it in your eyes, nose or mouth, um, you'll have a big problem. You'll stop breathing in a couple of minutes, okay. okay. So it's really dangerous. So I plug that little spot with a small white antibiotic syringe and if you touch the rest of the rhino, two tons, there's all safe to do, okay, no problem. All right, so what is the issue with the drugs that we use? These drugs are potent respiratory depressants. In other words, they stop you breathing. To compound it, they also cause high blood pressure in the heart-lung circulation, so oxygen doesn't move out of the airway properly into the blood. And then the third thing is, because we've chased this rhino with a helicopter um, and the drug itself, causes the muscles to twitch and move and so the body temperature starts rising and for each degree your body temp goes up you need about another hundred percent oxygen so when you use this M99 it stops them breathing it stops them absorbing oxygen and it increases the demand for oxygen all of those things put those rhino in trouble so over the next 10-15 years we looked for other drugs to add into this dart to make a cocktail of drugs that would combat some of those side effects. So we've got a tranquilizer in here called a Zaparone. And what that does is it means I can use less M99. It relieves that high blood pressure problem. And then we add an enzyme in here called Hylase. And what the Hylase does is it takes my first two drugs, that M99 and that tranquilizer, drives it into the system about twice the normal speed. So that animal stops running around about three and a half to four minutes instead of eight to 10, and we can save a whole degree or two body temperature like that, okay. We also, we work early morning like we are today. We work in winter when it's cool, like now, and we carry water with us as well. Um, and we have a leaf blower so that if they get really hot, we'll pull water over them, and then we'll blow them with a leaf blower to cool them down, okay. We won't have to do that today because it's a particularly cool day, but sometimes we have to do that. So once the animal is down, you'd think that would be safe 
for rhinos. But unfortunately, this drug is still so potent, even with those other ones added to it, that white rhino particularly just cope, don't cope with it. Okay, so when, you, when I get to the rhino, you'll see if it's a white rhino today, that I'll give it a second drug into the ear vein. And what that does is it partially wakes them up. So that's the other thing to remember today. We're going to be dealing with half awake rhinos, not half asleep. Okay. okay. And this is called an immobilization as opposed to an anesthetic. All right. In other words, these animals are more immobilized than they are anesthetized. Okay. So all you have to do is you have to watch out around the horn area because they can lift their head sometimes. And when I'm cutting, sometimes they even try and stand up, but I'll, I can usually stop that from happening. If they do, we just pop a rope on and we pull them down again. Okay, it happens from time to time. Alrighty, so you don't need to panic, you just move back, let us do it and we'll sort it out. Okay. The dehorning process. It's a really scary looking process to look at. I come up to the rhino with a chainsaw and we remove the horn. The reason we use a chainsaw is it's quick, very quick. It's very efficient at removing horn. It doesn't generate any heat. In other words, if you use these, you get electric blades that, that go backwards and forwards called reciprocating saws that cut horns. They, for me, generate far too much heat. That burns the actual growth plate of the, of the rhino horn and damages it for later in some cases. Otherwise, you have to use water or you do it slowly takes them anything up to 10-15 minutes to cut a horn like that whereas if we use a chainsaw you'll see 10 to 20 seconds and the horn is off and then another minute for us just to trim okay and you'll see we used to cut rhino horns just straight across what we used to call a square cut nowadays we give them a short back and side so we once we've done that square cut we cut down the horn and you'll see that I cut all around the horn removing any excess horn there so we leave maybe four to five hundred grams, what's that about? That's about a pound uh, of horn left on that rhino at the end of the day. That's what we're aiming at, the minimum amount of horn. Because if we leave the minimum amount, poachers won't come for them.
Yep, you can tell, you can tell. You see in 45? Take it down to the Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. Help me take a hair sample. Just hold this. Okay. And you can give it to Ivan and put it in her bag. Just put it in. Thank you. Thank you. So what we're going to do is I'm going to stick this in here. All right, let's put one of these in. Okay, you push it here and then do that with it. Click it in, okay? Push it in? Yep, click it right onto the needle, push hard. That's it. Can you see the blood's popping in too? Sucks it up by itself. And when I take it out, you just roll it on your leg gently, okay? to mix it. Do that one and give it to me and then pull that needle out and I'll put my finger here. That's it. Perfect. Okay, so that's its blood sample taken. How's your first run? <gasps> hey? Yeah. Is that quite cool? Yes. <laughs> okay, so this is bleeding a little so what we'll do is we'll just rub it a bit. So we identify rhino with two means. One of them is the notching on the ears, which is the ones the monitors use all around. Okay, but sometimes if this rhino, if it should die, for instance, and it's left out in the field and we find that the hyenas have eaten its ears off, we can't tell who it is. So we put a microchip in its neck here, which is a permanent identification, and that gives us a definitive um, uh, definitive identification. Okay, we also use that chip for when we move them. If we're moving them to another place, ear notches can be changed. I can put another notch here and make it an extra one or four or ten, and within minutes you can change the number of a rhino. Once you've got a microchip in there, it's permanent. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to stick a microchip in this side of the neck. Check that the yeah, it's all good. Why do you spray it? 
it seals the horn afterwards. It, okay. They've got a little growth plate. So you know how your nail grows and if you break your nail close to the growth plate or to your uh, quick, it bleeds. Same with these guys. Sometimes if we cut it too close, it'll bleed there. We haven't here, that's fine, but we just like to seal the end just to be sure. Does it hurt the rhino? No. Did you see it move at all? No. No, didn't. <laughs> okay, and when it gets up, you'll see it gets up and it'll walk away like nothing ever happened to it, okay? Okay. So no, it doesn't hurt. It looks horrible, but it doesn't hurt them at all. And you see how quick it is? It is yes, quick. That just like was cutting often... your fingers. Exactly, but you wouldn't do it with a chainsaw, hey? Yes. <laughs> are you going to do the baby now? We are. We're also going to do his horn as well. Okay, it, um, it's not particularly big. But if we don't do it now, by the time we get around to doing this one again, it'll be so big that it'll be a, potentially a problem. Okay. And also, this one is nearly old enough to go off on its own. Another four to six months and it'll be gone from its mom and the mom will have a new calf by then. And um, so we would like to have him have his horn short before he goes off. Okay. Okay. And yeah. And you see on his ears, he's got what's called clean ears. There's no notches yet, so we don't know who he is. And the thing about notching now is if we notch him now, we'll be able to match that calf up with this mom throughout the rest of its life. Okay. So we just dehorned this female white rhino and the shavings of her horn are here on the ground. And this is what people are after. And you can see it's just the same material as our fingernails. And it's really sad that, you know, this is what people want and it's just worthless. It's devastating that this is what it's come to, that we've got to take the horns off of these beautiful rhinos and, you know, she's going to be walking around now without our horns, but the important thing is that it's going to keep her alive. Yes, going to keep her safe, but it's really sad to see. How often do we have to do them? Depends. That mom, probably every two years. Okay. This calf, probably every 18 months, because the young ones grow much quicker. So she'll be done every 20 to 24 months, and then he'll be done around about every 18 months for a little while anyway. Take it down to the middle, take it down to the base. Correct. Is it at the base? Front, front, back circumference. That's the hundred. Okay. What is in here? Okay, do we need to spray it so that all of that area is covered and spray? That's it. Spray it hard. That's it. Okay, and the bottom one. Someone want to take a photograph? One of the other ways of doing this is just to do it like that. All right. And then that's actually easier than doing the um, trying to push it through. It goes in much quicker, then you just screw this thing on. 
and inject it. Okay, it should hopefully have gone. Yes, it has. This is the wake up. So we put it into the vein just like we did with that blood sample. And then I pull back here. Right, now you can inject it. Perfect. So about two and a half to three minutes this one will get up. 